audio notes on the, some excerpts from uh, Anguttara Nikaya Book of Fours, uh, translated by uh, Venerable Aryavangsa. Because, endowed with four things, a foolish, unlearned, bad man keeps himself wounded, injured, and blameworthy, and subject to criticism by the wise, he accumulates much demerit. Which four? Without having found out, without having scrutinized, he speaks praise of one who should not be praised. Without having found out, without having scrutinized, he speaks dispraise of one who should be praised. Without having found out, without having scrutinized, he manifests clarity in the area which should not be clarified. Without having found out, without having scrutinized, he manifests no clarity in an area which should be clarified. The, these bhikkhu are the four things endowed with which a foolish, unlearned, bad man keeps himself wounded, injured and, and is blameworthy and subject to criticism by the wise. He accumulates much demerit. This is pretty self-explanatory, however, um, <clears throat> it's important to take this seriously, basically, as in, um, the, uh, the, the common view is uh, among those who, who try to practice the Dhamma, but have not necessarily developed the right view yet. The common view is, well, as long as I'm trying my best, um, I'm not doing any harm, but that's um, that's exactly what this sutta pointed. There were some other suttas in the beginning of Anguttara Nikaya, if I remember correctly. Um, but it doesn't matter whether you think that what you are praising, um, what you are sort of singling out as worthy in Dhamma and so on. It doesn't matter whether you, you, you genuinely believe it or not. What matters is whether that thing actually is so or not. Whether it is according to the Dhamma. Whether it is according to the practice. So that's why it says here that a foolish man hasn't scrutinized. Hasn't scrutinized. Um, and he did not find out for himself. Which means it's, it's a 50-50 it's a chance that uh, whatever that man is praising and finding praiseworthy, he might actually be blameworthy from the ultimate, obviously, point of view of the Dhamma. In the same sense, what, what that man might, might be thinking it's important for the practice, it's important for the clarity, he might not be. So before that man starts praising and starts pushing for it and um, starts uh, sort of instructing others even, he should know it for himself, whether it is according to the Dhamma, in which case, yeah, it is praiseworthy, whether it isn't. Often, uh, what people might be judging as uh, blameworthy, it actually isn't. There are numerous examples in the suttas. There's even the one uh, where, um, well, it was in relation to the monks, but obviously works for anyone, ordained or non-ordained. We said, oh, here is a man who is um, very agreeable to live with, very polite with others very softly spoken, lovely person, everybody loves him. But uh, he's completely full of wrong views, an Ataputujana, has no distinction, has no knowledge, has no attainments. And um, so everybody will praise him, obviously, because he's such a nice person. And nobody will, will find him blameworthy, um, 
due to the fact that he's not even a Sotapanna. Yet the Buddha says he should be blameworthy. He should be blamed. Because anybody can learn nice, soft uh, politeness and words and so on. And again, it, it's not either or as well. So a person can be both. But in case that it isn't, what you should look for is the views, the way they live, the way they teach. Not the way the society or the, the group would deem uh, appropriate or not. Then the Buddha goes on and saying, uh, the, um, <clears throat> another type of man is, is hard to live with and they can't, well, people don't like them, uh, but they are Sotapanas or Arahants, fully enlightened. Uh, but people blame them because obviously they have no criteria for what is blameworthy. And that's what this sort of talks about in terms of the one who does do that, who is, who is aware that he doesn't fundamentally has a criteria, have a criteria, but then goes ahead praising or blaming, he accumulates much demerit. Carries on here, Bhikkhus endowed with four things a wise, learned, good man, keeps himself unwounded, uninjured, and is blameless, and not subject to criticism by the wise. And he accumulates much merit. <clears throat> Which four? Having found out, having scrutinized, he speaks praise of one who should be praised. Having found out, having scrutinized, he speaks dispraise of one who should not be praised. Having, oh yeah, and that there's another thing. He speaks dispraise. Because often people think, oh, I must not criticize. Yeah, you should not criticize from your own vanity point of view or, or conceit. But if you're talking about a perspective of practice in this case, uh, there's clearly right and wrong. So if you don't point out wrong, well, that's your fault. He speaks dispraise of one who should not be praised. So when I say you point out wrong, you don't go to like ranting on all bells and, 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 and so on. But if asked, if, if the context is there, the Buddha himself would list all the wrong ways people would be practicing at the same time. Wrong things they're doing, misguided things they're doing. Because often by investigating why the wrong thing is wrong, you get to understand what's right. So having found out, having scrutinized, he manifests no clarity in an area which should not be clarified. Having found out, having scrutinized, he manifests clarity in an area which should be clarified. That's pretty much not knowing what's important. Not knowing unimportant from important and then regarding unimportant things as that which you should really investigate and put loads of effort in. And that often happens these days where people confuse practice with sort of uh, learning of, 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 uh, of a behavior, like just refining your politeness and behavior is confused for the practice of Dhamma and, and loads of effort goes into it. And as I said, it's not either or, you can do both, but if you do that, thinking that's what practice of Dhamma is, well then you won't be finding out what practice of Dhamma is because you already think you found it. So it will lead to much of your demerit. Whoever praises the blameworth or criticizes he should be criticized, he selects with his mouth a misdeed. With, his, with this misdeed, he does not experience happiness. That concludes that excerpt on the first page. Again, we will include the PDF from which I'm reading this in the link in the description video so people can download it for themselves. Okay, there's a change of topic now. So, um, because if while walking, a thought of sense desire or a thought of ill will or a thought of harming arises for a bhikkhu, 
And if that bhikkhu tolerates it, does not abandon it, does not remove it, does not get rid of it, does not bring it to non-existence, then bhikkhus, while walking, that bhikkhu is said to have become thus, not ardent, unafraid of wrongdoing, constantly, continuously lazy, lacking energy. So, the important distinction, distinction here is to, to, to notice that whether it's a thought of sense, desire, ill will, of harming, they arise on their own. It says, if a thought arises for a bhikkhu, it might not seem like a big deal, but it, it's often very crucial, uh, because people uh, people tend to overreach. When people, when people sort of try to practice this attitude of not tolerating, not welcoming, getting rid of it, they more like end up acting out of a version of trying to get rid of the unpleasant feeling caused by that which they don't want. And that's just another way of revolving around your own craving. So you want to recognize um, the extent of the arisen phenomena. And when I say extent, I mean how far it has arisen on its own. And then you don't add anything to it or you're trying to take away from it. As in, you, you, you know how far you should go and then not cross that mark. So it says here, if a thought arises or will, will, sense, desire, harming, if it arises for a bhikkhu, so that in itself, it's not a problem. Arising of a thought, it's what mind does. Thoughts arise for the mind. But then the problem becomes if that bhikkhu starts tolerating it, if he doesn't then make the effort to abandon, he doesn't remove it. In a sense of, the, the, like say, say a thought of uh, sensual desire arisen, and he, he welcomed it. He automatically just welcomed it. And then he doesn't make any effort to abandon that welcoming. He doesn't make any effort to stop tolerating it. That's where the problem is. So in that sense, if a person starts discerning this, um, the, the, the threshold after which their effort should be applied, um, or before, depending how you look at it, but if they, if they, if they are able to discern the extent of the phenomenon arisen on its own and then see what what they are responsible for in it because you are not responsible for its arising you're responsible for its uh, for its uh, maintenance through tolerating welcoming um, uh, indulging it being careless delighting in it but once that's discerned then you realize you cannot unintentionally slip away from your mindfulness you slip away from the mindfulness when you intentionally choose to ignore this. When you intentionally choose to ignore the arisen thought um, as something that you should not be welcoming and delighting in. And then as a result of it, you welcome it and you delight it. That's how mindfulness is lost. Not because you stop watching a moment after a moment or you slipped. No, it's by giving in to unwholesome, even on the mental level. And it's important to know where, what the extent of that phenomena is, as in the, the extent of its independence, because otherwise you'll be denying everything and nothing. You'll be trying to fix everything even when you don't even know whether it's a problem or not. And that makes a problem. So then he goes on saying, if, if while standing a thought of sense, desire, ill will or harming arises for a bhikkhu and that bhikkhu tolerates it, does not abandon it. Uh, if while sitting down, if while lying, um, if while walking, so doesn't matter the way your body is disposed. If thoughts have arisen on their own there, you have to be vigilant, not in regard to the content of your thoughts, but in regard to its nature, their nature. Are those thoughts partaking in the domain of sensuality? Are those thoughts partaking in the domain of ill will? Are those thoughts partaking in the domain of harming? 
If so, you don't welcome it. You let it endure there because it has a reason on its own. But because of that, if you don't interfere, it will cease on its own. And that's the, the, the great insight of a Sotapanna. Whatever has the nature of arising, because of that, it will have to cease. But it's, it's people's confusion and ignorance in regard to the manifestation of phenomena that they get, up, get all caught up and, 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 uh, and bound by those phenomena and affected. So, if bhikkhus while sitting down, a thought of sense desire, a thought of ill will, or a thought of harm arises for a bhikkhu, and if that bhikkhu does not tolerate it, he abandons it, he brings it to non-existence, then it's said that he has become ardent, afraid of wrongdoing, constantly, continuously resolved and energetic, resolute. So again, resolved and energetic is a description of somebody who is recognized where the work is and the work is not in denying your thoughts not in denying mind from thinking not in denying uh, thoughts from manifesting but in denying your delight in it your careless welcoming your careless non-abandoning your careless indolence so you just remove that bit and you become resolved and energetic you don't have to be dealing with everything all the time because if things are not sensual, not based on ill will, not based on uh, anger and harm, there is no problem. You will automatically be mindful because you're not engaging in anything unwholesome. So let's, uh, that was, by the way, that was Anguttara 4.11. Um, so now let's have a look at the next excerpt. Because there are these four strivings. Which four? Striving by restraint, striving by abandoning, Striving by developing, striving by guarding, and which bhikkhus is striving by restraining? Here, because a bhikkhu, having seen a sight with the eye, is not one who grasps the signs. He is not the one who grasps the attributes of that sight. Since by dwelling with the eye, faculty unrestrained, even evil, unwholesome phenomena of covetousness and grief would invade him. He practices for the restraint of it, he guards the eye faculty, he undergoes restraint in the eye faculty. Having heard a sound with the ear, having smelled a smell with the nose, having tasted a taste with the tongue, having touched a touch with the body, having imagined an, uh, an image with the mind, he is not the one who grasps the sign, he is not the one who grasps the attributes. Since by dwelling with the mind faculty unrestrained, since by dwelling with the mind faculty unrestrained, even unwholesome phenomena of covetousness and grief could invade him. So this is the way of, um, well, this is pretty much how the wisdom begins. Uh, you recognize things before they come your way when they affect you. So you want to start foreseeing it. So you, you foresee that, so you're not necessarily guarding yourself from, from, from this particular side or that particular side, although that's how it's going to end up being because you're guarding yourself from the nature of unguarded eye. Having the experience of unguarded eye can then result in those sights and sounds. So you don't want to be just avoiding things that are unwholesome to look at, smell, taste, hear, and uh, touch, and think about. You actually want to see that the attitude of the mind that precedes um, engaging with those type of things so that's what you want to start uh, uh, restraining because then all you need to do is keep an eye on your eye so to speak and you don't that nothing can enter it but no amount of um, 
avoiding unwholesome things, if you don't keep an eye on, on your eye, you can only avoid those things only so far. Sooner or later, something's going to slip through and your mind will be affected by covetousness and grief. Then the next one is, uh, which bhikkhus is striving by abandoning? Here, because a bhikkhu does not tolerate an arisen thought of sense desire. He abandons it. He removes it. This is what, uh, what we just spoke about. He brings it to non-existence. So he stops fueling it. So it will subside. He does not tolerate uh, thought of ill will. And does not tolerate evil unwholesome phenomena whenever they arise. So whenever they arise, he stops tolerating their arising. He stops welcoming it. That's what means you get rid of it. You can't prevent it from arising, but you can prevent it from being fueled further. And then it will stop arising. If there is no fuel for it, uh, there will be no ground for its manifestation. And then, uh, which because is striving by developing? Here, because a bhikkhu develops the awakening factor of mindfulness, which is dependent on seclusion, dependent on dispassion, dependent on cessation, resulting in relinquishment. He develops the awakening factor of discrimination of phenomena, tamavicca. He develops the awakening factor of energy, the awakening factor of joy, the awakening factor of tranquility. He develops the awakening factor of composure, develops the awakening factor of equanimity or indifference, which is dependent on seclusion, dependent on dispassion, dependent on cessation, resulting in relinquishment. That is called striving by developing. Um, striving by guarding? Ah, okay, yeah, this is interesting. So, and which because uh, is striving by guarding? Here, because a bhikkhu guards the arisen helpful sign of composure, which is uh, samadhi nimitam. The perception of bones, the perception of uh, worm-infested corpse, the perception of discolored corpse, the perception of decaying corpse, the perception of bloated corpse. Bhikkhu is called striving by guarding. These bhikkhus are the four strivings. So this is already on the level of, of proper samadhi, the proper uh, peripheral mindfulness, uh, which is exactly where the sign of composure arises. So you can't attend to the sign of an arisen thing. Signs and tokens of arisen thing are its characteristics, its significance, that it's implied in it, which is inherently in the background. It's the context of the thing you're attending to. So you start discerning the context, the sign of composure, as in you start discerning that there is composure of your mind present in regard to the general perception of the nature of bones, the nature of infested corpse, the discolored corpse. So again, those are not things that you have to keep looking at or, or, or actively thinking about. Those, those perceptions that, that have arisen are relevant here because if you discern them on that peripheral level as that which is in common to your living body, say, um, uh, decaying corpse, decaying corpse or a living body, well, they all share the same matter, the same body, or rather the nature of the, of the, uh, of the matter and the body, which means um, the decaying corpse and the living body pertain to the same nature. So if your mind is composed uh, on a more fundamental perception of a decaying corpse, and it's more fundamental is because that's how things will inevitably end up. So you realize that the living um, 
it's not that uh, the decaying corpse is absence of life, it's that the living body is a, is a delayed decaying corpse. So you want to give priority. So you want to give the, the priority to that which brings dispassion, um, non-attachment, and so on. So that's, why, that's how these perceptions are helpful. Uh, it's not like you have to keep thinking about it, bringing it forward, bringing it forward. Why? Because that won't reveal the nature of it. You want to think about a discolored corpse or decaying corpse, and then you want to see, discern its nature being relevant and applicable to you. And that's how your mind is composed upon that phenomena, which, is, uh, which does not contain greed, infatuation, intoxication with life, and so on. So then protecting that type of composure is what's called the four right strivings, the, the, the striving by guarding. And then it finishes uh, in verses. Restraining and abandoning, developing and guarding, these are the four strivings taught by the de uh, descendant of the sun. With these, Bhikkhu, here is ardent. Ah, with these, Bhikkhu here is ardent. He has reached the destruction of suffering. That's in Guttara 4.14.